Welcome to the Space of Justice, the podcast from the Committee on Just Space at Duke University. I'm Michael A. Betts II, the Director of Continuing Education at the Center for Documentary Studies and your host for this special election episode. Thank you for tuning in. With the general election just one month away on Tuesday, November 3rd, and the deadline for voter registration in the state of North Carolina looming large next Friday, the Just Space podcast wanted to engage the work that is happening in and around Duke as it prepares space for students to engage in the civic duty of voting. Today, I'm joined remotely by Diana Sanchez, a student organizer at the Center for Multicultural Affairs at the University, Assistant Director Elmer Oriana, who is also at the Center for Multicultural Affairs, and lastly by Kevin Erickson, who's the director of Duke Create here at the University. Uh, we were supposed to be joined by Rachel Spring, a campus coordinator for the student Get Out the Vote organization, You Can Vote, but unfortunately, we were unable to connect at this time. Hello and welcome, everyone. Hi, Mike. Hi. So elections and the right to vote are something that many people have fought and died to make available for many people, myself included. Uh, and the original constitutional framers seem to leave some folks out. Uh, I know for myself as an Afro-Indigenous man, I want to ensure as many people who possibly can and are eligible at the university have the ability and access to vote. Uh, as a recent graduate student myself, I have been personally reaching out to different student organizations and offering to assist folks with navigating how to register and where to go to actually vote if they're on campus. Uh, so I think there is a much deeper question of the responsibility of the university to facilitate the space for students to engage in voting and expression of their voice. Uh, so I, I want to direct this first question uh, to Assistant Director Oriana. Uh, why did the Center for Multicultural Affairs feel like it was their job to facilitate the space for students to register to vote? Yeah, so um, at the Center for Multicultural Affairs, we believe in students' um, ability to, to organize and enact change. Um, voting is like a civic responsibility, but also an opportunity for students to sort of enact change in its civic process. Um, we know that the 2020 election is a paramount like election for many of the students that we serve mm. so we would just wanted to be a vehicle and a vessel to get students to to go out and vote and just to learn more information and we've done um a lot of like voting information in the past like okay. during off election years um mid-year election years with like what's the tea just to like inform our students about what's on the ballot um obviously 2020 is a presidential election year so the stakes are a lot higher. So we just wanted to see how can we um, provide resources and information for our students to be informed. So along those lines, do you all uh, kind of talk about the significance of many of the down ballot races specific to the state of North Carolina? Yes, in the past, um, we've partnered up with Polis, which they're, they're the ones that are really focused on civic engagement and getting Duke students to, to be engaged in vote. So we've partnered with them and do well just to talk about like the elections that are happening locally, but also mm -hmm. recognizing that there are students that are not from the state of North Carolina. So giving them the resources to find the information for like their home states if they're voting like back home. Right, right. And, and I'm imagining just within the, the center's general makeup, 
that you all are very much about empowering students themselves to kind of take charge and take the lead. Can you kind of talk about some of those uh, those elements within uh, the CMA itself? Yeah, so in the CMA, we have our incredible um, student programmers who are really driving um, this year sort of the programming um, for the center and the topics that they want to discuss. And Diana Sanchez, one of our student programmers who is right here on this podcast, um, was the student who like pitched this idea to inform um, her peers about like voting in this election. Diana, uh, can you tell us a little bit about you as a student here at Duke, uh, kind of what some of your hopes and aspirations are, uh, what you are as a major, those kinds of things? Um, right now, I'm majoring in history and minoring in gender, sexuality, and feminist studies. Um, my focus, more than anything, is migration. Um, and then in terms of what I want to do um, post-graduation, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I've only just declared history, <laughs> even though I'm a junior. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about how you connected the CMA to You Can Vote, uh, especially with as many different Get Out the Vote organizations that there are? Um, yeah, so I actually found out about You Can Vote through a friend. She had the opportunity to work with them over the summer, so she kind of knew um, Rachel fairly well, like they worked together the entire summer. Um, mm -hmm. So there was just like a facilitated connection there. Um, and I reached out to her and she got back to me super fast, which was incredible because, you know, the elections, as you said, are, yes. are so close. So, yeah, it was great. So what are you expecting um, with an event of this type? What is what do you imagine the makeup of this thing will be? And and what is the engagement to students? How does this work? Well, the event happening is um, this Monday at 6 p.m. Um, and it's going to be through Zoom. So the way that I imagined it and kind of what I've talked with Rachel um, is kind of offering like an educational aspect of explaining, you know, some of the new election um, right. rules that are, have just passed. Um, and then also kind of just like emphasizing the importance of voting, which, you know, I think we've all gotten at this point. But right. um, and then another part is to actually do um, something called relational organizing. So we're going to be doing a text bank and offering students the opportunity to specifically reach out to any family members or um, any friends that they know that maybe need a little bit more information about voting if they haven't reached out to them yet. Um, wow. So it's okay. so like an interpersonal way to kind of get others um, engaged with voting, which I thought was great. Um, That's so, fantastic. Yeah. And I think it's quite, quite important because like in past elections, historically younger voters, um, are are usually less represented in polls so mm -hmm. um, i think it's important to mobilize you know college students and such and then in terms of the event um as i mentioned it's going to be like an informational aspect in the beginning um and just kind of kind of getting familiar with some of the um, rules regarding election and registration um and then the second half is the relational organizing um in which like uh, Rachel uh, will be offering students kind of like a template um, to send out to, you know, um, close ones, relatives, friends, et cetera, um, regarding registration and sending like tools of like, you can register here um, and here's some of the the election laws as well. Um, so that's kind of thing. And also you get to meet other students who may be in kind of in the same 
spot as you of like maybe you're not super familiar with some of the voting um rules and stuff like that um so I, i'm really hoping that it'll be a communal space um for students as well well and that's actually a great segue into a, a question about yourself if you don't mind me asking like what what about this for you is so important i mean you're very engaged you're you're actively recruiting your peers to be a part of this what what about this whole process uh kind of locked you in in the way that it did i think um what elmer mentioned earlier about this being you know a presidential election and there's just a lot at stake um more than anything especially um my family we uh a lot of us a lot of my family are immigrants um and so some of them have been um, naturalized u.s citizens but some of them haven't um and i think i live in a very rural town in north carolina um so sometimes accessibility is an issue of like where do i register um you know that kind of stuff and so like i've been helping out my family members so i've seen like this need for information education regarding voting so i thought i would also bring that to to considering you know that younger voters are usually um aren't always as present as they should be at the polls uh, that makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense so i would imagine that there's uh given the weight of this election um there's a lot of anxiety surrounding it um probably for a lot of folks students um you know whether you be from from uh the state of north carolina from the united states or abroad i would imagine here in the us there's a lot of anxiety surrounding the way this will kind of play out um and i'm imagining also that kind of during this uh these high anxiety inducing events um you know in theory, midterms and finals can have the same weight for some folks. Uh, there are different ways that I know that the Duke campus community rallies around students to provide them mental uh, mental breaks and just, you know, space to kind of step away from the noise. Um, uh, Director Erickson, can you kind of talk about some of the things that Duke Create is doing um, to provide just some of these spaces for relief uh, during these anxiety-inducing election times? Sure. Um, so do create uh, is a series of free hands on arts workshops for all faculty, students and staff. Um, and I think we have kind of morphed this semester into a community builder. Um, what I've been finding is people giving people an opportunity to create together often uh, gives people an opportunity to create some kind of community together. Um, and so I think people are looking for ways um, and opportunities to interact and connect that are outside of just the normal um, Zoom uh, transactional lectures. Uh, so do create is a, a great way for people to just um, forget about what they're doing uh, for a little bit. Um, forget about all of the outside uh, world and news for a short time um, and just focus on a craft or a dance move um, or like, you know, just creating something that's totally outside the scope of your world for, for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, we are doing workshops like make a self-care zine um, where it's like mm. a guided, reflect, uh, guided reflection on what you're doing during uh, quarantine or 
um, we had two Chicago-based artists um, come in and guide us on um, social justice um, and creating a zine around activist illustrations. Um, mm. So we're actively thinking about topics that are happening in the right. world, but also like ways that we can like put that on paper. Um, and I find um, as somebody who often like participates in these things, it gets you framing the conversation in a different way or right. makes me realize like I wasn't thinking about this. Now that I'm seeing it on paper, I can kind of see it in a different way. Um, so we're doing a lot of those kinds of things, a lot of self-care workshops. Um, we're doing another political zines, voting and empowerment workshop. We're creating flag books and figuring mm. out ways that we can um, fight back against voter suppression uh, moving forward. Um, so lots of those types of workshops that kind of uh, not necessarily um, evoke anxiety. Uh, we're trying to do the opposite. We're trying to right. um, address the issues, but also like find creative pathways forward and also create a community where, you know, there's a lot of like-minded people uh, together with right. you where you can just, uh, again, right. create together. So, so in this, this conversation of creating together, there's a very significant relational tie that kind of lives inside of that. And uh, Diana talked about it a little bit earlier, just with relation to, you know, the basically text banking effectively. Um, and, and, and I'm curious, you know, these, these opportunities for students, I feel like a lot of times they would miss out. They wouldn't necessarily know that they existed. Where are you advertising uh, to get, or, or, or how are you, you know, spreading the word, especially um, during this COVID period of time where the university is a lot more uh, expansive and less connected? How are you engaging student audiences so that they know that these are resources that are available to them? We are trying to connect as much as possible with other offices, departments, and organizations across campus. Um, so we're supporting student groups. I'm inviting um, offices like Do Well and the Duke University Libraries uh, mm. uh, to come in um, and collaborate with us in a lot of ways. And that way we can cross promote. Innovation Collab is another amazing partner. Um, Innovation Collab uh, has a workshop system called Roots that kind of straddles that line between tech and arts. And so wherever we intersect, we cross promote our workshops together. Fantastic. Um, and I think that's been a really great way to kind of combine forces and get the word out. Um, we have a monthly newsletter um, that goes out uh, to, I think, 3,000 subscribers uh, that announces the next kind of month's workshop series. And um, after that, it's kind of social media, Instagram is a, a huge win for us, um, and word of mouth. So we're having 70 of these workshops. So I think the more people that come to the workshops and have these kind of experiences, we'll tell the next person. Um, like I said, 70 workshops in a semester uh, is quite a few. And so I'm starting to see some like recurring faces and those people are inviting their friends to come. Uh, the Vice Provost of the Arts Office is also interested in getting some of our peer member institutions involved. Um, and so no. uh, we're gonna try and uh, reach out to other schools to find ways if um, they can invite their student body to start attending some of our workshops as well. That's absolutely wonderful. I, I can't help but think, uh, you know, along the same lines for the CMA, uh, Diana and, and, and uh, Assistant Director Oriana, like how are you all also getting out 
this information um, for for students right now. Again, we're just the the disconnectedness. There are students who are abroad who are also you know on campus. Like, how do we allow for students to know that? you know, their, their voice is exactly as powerful as it is. And that these events, uh, specifically the you can vote event, um, is available to them. Yeah. Similarly to, um, do create, we are reaching out to student organization campus partners, um, using the power of social media, um, and the power of word of mouth just to get students informed. Um, our newsletter also, um, showcases like the events that the centers have is having, but also other events that our campus partners um, are having to to bring awareness of the events that they can attend to. So we're we're kind of getting to a place where we're, we're talking about, um, and everybody has brought it up in some way, shape, or form. Access, you know, the 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 need to be able to to get to, to know about, to access, um, whether it be the, the power of the voter, just information in general. Um, and so I, I can't help but wonder, as we're thinking about this, kind of how does this formulate for students who are in the margins, who, you know, Duke University is a large research institution and provides you know, student education for lots and lots of students who are not U.S. citizens or who are documented or who are in some way, shape or form are, are unable themselves to access the vote. Uh, and this is kind of a question for everybody. What are what are ways that we're thinking about those students and how are we thinking about uh, how this moment may impact them? It is very like. Uh, salient to me and it's like upfront in my mind about our um, undocumented and documented students. Um, similar to Diana, I have a mixed status like family. So there are folks that are citizens, residents, non-residents. Um, but as an educator, I know that there are students that also come from like mixed family backgrounds and, you know, this election, there's a lot of uncertainty of how the election will go. Um, and we're at midst of a pandemic on two fronts, right? Like right, COVID-19 right. and just um, rampant like racism that is going on. Right. And we don't know what the outcome is gonna be. Um, and that's something that it's very anxiety producing for our undocumented and documented students. So as an office, just trying to be proactive of whatever the outcome is for the election to create a space um, and touch base with like students that will be um, greatly impacted um, with the outcome. So being proactive and intentional in what can we offer to provide a space for our students to vent if they have to vent listen celebrate um just sneaking ahead of like the results of this election i'm I, kind of along that same line uh, what are some of the arguments that you all are presenting to college students who don't don't feel empowered or don't feel the need to express their voice they have actively said you know that it doesn't matter. My voice isn't important or eh, 
you know, there's, there's too many things about what's, what I have to choose from that I just can't in any way, shape or form choose. So I'm just not going to, uh, in what ways do you think this expression is connected to spatial justice? Um, kind of to answer the first part of your question, I think what we were just talking about, about like the voices um, that aren't going to be heard, that's been like one of my main arguments when talking to people about the importance of voting is that um, your, vo your vote is representative of more than just your voice. Um, mm. There are many people who are being silenced um, right now in terms of voting. Um, so if the fact that you have that um, ability and that power to vote, um, you shouldn't take that lightly and you should consider like who isn't at the polls and how your vote can impact those communities. Um, so that's been one of my main arguments within this whole voting conversation. I would imagine that students then or classmates or whomever may come back and say, well, why do I have to think about somebody else while I'm expressing my my voice or or not expressing my voice? Isn't it my, isn't it my right or to choose not to express that what what other and i know that i'm asking you kind of a, a repetitive question but i would imagine that you know as you're trying to convince somebody of the ability to use their voice they may come back and say no a couple times before they say yes <laughs> what other things aside from you know those arguments are you positioning yourself in to get them to understand the power and the weight of that decision that they're making Right. Um, yeah, it's definitely happened. Um, but I think I then have to share like my idea of what justice means. And it's not personally, I view justice as a communal thing, like communal and collective justice. Um, I think it's a conversation we should be talking about. Um, because talk this, more about that. Yeah. So um, this talk of like individual justice, individual rights um, kind of shifts the conversation of different um, social structures to be individual problems. Um, but as we've seen, like, in terms of racism, heteronormativity, like, these are structural um, social problems that are not just an individual's problem. You know, there's patterns that we see all the time. Um, so it's this fight for a more collective justice, I think, is more appropriate um, to truly work towards a society where everyone's voices are heard, everyone, you know, there's a more equitable society. And so even in that statement of of what equitability looks like within a society, I feel like that's something that's open to interpretation. How would you interpret the the notion of an equitable society? Yeah, I agree that it's complete. It's very different from person to person, but I just see it as um, an access to a fair opportunity. I guess um, in a sense that there aren't, you know. A number of policies that are preventing you from economic mobility or social mobility um and what because i think when people think of a lot of these issues it's like a very interpersonal thing um and not so much the fact that like a lot of our laws are ingrained with very racist um rhetoric um right right so i think it's um well for from what i see it this is like a a grounds to equal opportunity but also equal freedoms um but i mean that's my on the fly <laughs> response yeah, <no>. so <laughs> that makes then, sense yeah that makes sense no i i think that uh the notion of equal opportunities and equal freedoms that 
that just it, it starts a whole different conversation in my head surrounding um, kind of what people consider freedom and opportunity. Uh, I know I keep I'm like very much in, this, in the deep weeds on semantics now. Um, and so I, I, I don't want to continue to belabor that. Um, but I'm very curious, just, uh, I don't know, somebody, Director Erickson, for example, uh, I would imagine, you know, you all work really, really hard to make opportunities available to students, you know, and in the greater community with the events that you offer um, and the classes that are available. Um, when we talk about opportunity and access, uh and literally the freedom to be able to engage with that how do what does that mean to you personally you know i, I know that that's something that's important to you what does that mean to you personally sorry mike i'm, I'm thinking through this these are big deep questions you're asking um, <laughs> these are good questions they're great i'm sorry questions. that i decided to do it so early in the morning <laughs> <laughs> Could you frame that question one more time for me? Just so I yeah, can... yeah, yeah. So uh, Diana just talked a lot about um, the notion of of one communal justice, which I absolutely am in love with. Yeah, um, and, yeah, and that's also, the highlight of this whole podcast, right? Here. Yeah, yeah like, 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 my we should just scrap everything prior to that. <laughs> just talk about that, um, because you know the the whole point of you know elections is just that. Um, but but to get folks to feel empowered to be able to partake in this this idea of communal anything, we have to have structures of community in place that are that are viable and accessible and that are regenerative. And you know, I know specifically because we've had a lot of conversations offline about just your heart surrounding uh, the greater community pushing into, Duke University through the Duke Create, um, you know, access. I, I just wanted to kind of talk about opportunity and access and, and building of community uh, that you are making available and, and kind of like getting your personal opinion about what opportunity and access and community really looks like, especially if we're going to take that as the stair steps to be able to, to buy into this larger idea that Diana has kind of put forth of communal justice. There has to be community that precedes that. So that's, that's the framework that I'm kind of asking you about. And I'm asking more or less, you know, your personal uh, opinion about, um, about opportunity access and, and, and freedom in that, in those regards. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I think there's like a lot of different um, angles you can, can look at this and I'm, I will preface all of this by saying like, these are all my personal um, opinions and the way I've been um, kind of seeing the, the world right now. But, um, you know, like the thing at the top of everyone's mind uh, at the moment is the current pandemic. Um, and what's been obvious to me, at least how I've been interpreting it, is it's affecting uh, different communities differently. Um, so in my world in uh, Duke Arts, um, it's apparent, like apparent to us, um, everybody who's watching, that artists are being affected. Uh, by the mm -hmm. pandemic. Um, so when you think about the local um, Durham arts community and how vibrant it is, uh, it's really important um, for us to make sure that we're engaging local artists in the community and offering them opportunities to meet with our students and be supported in that way so that students get to know our local artists 
and in turn, our local artists um, have work uh, that they can offer to students. Right. Because at the end of the day, um, we really believe that art is essential, especially in this current moment that we're living in uh, with all the uncertainty um, surrounding both the election, but also just everything else in the world, right? Um, right. That it's important for people to um, have different modes of expression. Um, and we, we really feel like the arts plays a central role in all of that. And right. so since our um, Durham community um, has so many um, people that can um, offer uh, those sorts of things to our students, we really feel like in turn, it's essential for us to be reaching out to them and um, offer them ways to kind of contribute that to our students to, to get those perspectives, um, to offer opportunities um, to the community. Um, and um, in that way, it's kind of like a circular. Um, the community is building on the artists and the artists are building the community and so on and so on and so on and so forth. Yes, and so, thank you. Yeah, and that, that, I mean, and that gives us an access to, you know, uh, to exactly this thing that Diana's talking about, right? So, you know, if it's about building the idea and notion that we're all in this thing together, if we're able to have conversations about structural oppression and the strong, most powerful drug in the world known as white supremacy, you know, if we're able to have conversations about that integrated in these relational spaces, we can then be able to move the voicing of the group forward because all of a sudden it's, it's like, well, you know, I know that I'm represented in X, Y, and Z ways, but so-and-so over there is not. And I know that it would be really, really meaningful if they could get named the thing that they've been advocating for themselves for. So I'm going to then start saying the same things that they might need so that we can make that more of a central conversation for all part, our parties involved. Um, and that, that starts with, again, building this idea that the community is supported by the community. Um, so, all right, I, I've got to ask this. So there are always folks within communities that either a reject the notion of shared space or community in general. And there are people who, uh, like Diana also said earlier, uh, that feel very much individualistic in their positions and opinions about the way the world should work. How do we, maybe not even how are we required to make space for ideas that are detrimental to the well-being of others i'm going to pitch that one to assistant director oriana <laughs> congratulations man that's a tough oh, question God. that is really a tough question uh, <laughs> um wow because all right i'm trying to gather my thoughts and these views are my own and don't represent the, the author. Um, Take your time. Take your time. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Can you repeat the question? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the core of the question is, are we required to make space for ideas that are detrimental to the well-being of others? If I believe individually that something is my right to do my I'm allowed to do whatever it is individually, because I don't believe in the notion of 
community or communal justice or any of those things. Is it fair for my opinion to be made space for knowing that the thing that I may hold as individually mine could be crushing to someone else who doesn't have the same space made for them? And you, maybe it's not a yes or no. Maybe there's a more nuanced answer and, and you can, I, all of these things are gray. I know this. Yeah, I think there is a nuanced answer. I think personally, are we required? No, because I wouldn't want to put anyone in a space that is not safe and it's like harming for others. Um, I think spaces can be created um, for meaningful dialogue um and not debate right because sometimes we are in spaces and we're not actively listening but we're just actively responding or rebuttaling um someone else's views um i think framing of the space is important if we are gonna create a space where there are varying views right um and i think that can be possible that can be possible if um, there are expectations of what that space will look like, how we will conduct ourselves. But I think when putting folks in an unsafe space and it, for like the detriments of their health and their well-being, I don't think those spaces should be um, like required just because it's it's unfair for <laughs> either party. Um, right. The outcome is right. not going to be well, but I think we can create spaces where dialogue can be created and people are actually actively listening and learning where people are coming from. Um, a value that I really try to emulate is the Zulu proverb of Ubuntu, I am because you are. Um, and I think that mm. goes back to Diana's point about communal um, justice, right? Like recognizing that, you know, humanity, if we look at humanity as a whole, we're all tied together. And I think for marginalized individuals in this country, the United States, their, their humanity um, has always been like at risk. Um, mm -hmm. Like our existence has always been in jeopardy. And I think having folks who have um, like privileged identities, uh, majoritized identities, just recognizing um, and building that self-awareness um, that our humanity is tied together. Um, and I think that is important. And Audre Lorde said, um, without community, there is no liberation. Uh, so right. if we're able to recognize the wrongdoings, the uh, systems of oppression that exist in our society, we do need to come into community um, in order to dismantle and strive for liberation for all those who like live in the margins and even who are in the margins are like deep within those margins. Um, right. No, that's exactly, exactly. Uh, I, Diana, I didn't know if you wanted to also 
uh, answer this question or, or respond to uh, um, Assistant Director Oriana. Yeah, I'm also just like kind of th thinking through it. Um, and yeah, I think I agree that there needs to be like designated spaces where every party is aware of like conversations that are going to be had. Um, and, and the fact that there might be like, you know, conflicting perspectives. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree that we're not required to um, to make space for ideas, you know, that are going to harm someone else. Um, I think that needs to be like, a, you know, like a, a consenting environment almost. Right. Um, of like we're willing to listen to each other um, and right. we know that we might have different ideas of what freedom is. Um, yeah, I think Elmer said it very well. So with this idea in mind of consenting environments, uh, oh, I even go as far as to say continually consenting environments, um, in space for dialogue, what about the space to, to process, you know, something as big as whatever the results are from the election? What, what spaces are being made on campus potentially, or what conversations are being had potentially to work through those results and, you know, for whoever, for everybody, because, you know, everybody I think is going to need to work through that in some way, shape or form. So what, what are those, what conversations are being had right now on campus to prepare for that? Yes. Yeah, so right now on campus. Um, so the center for multicultural affairs is one of seven identity and cultural centers at Duke university. And, um, we're having the conversation about being proactive and being intentional uh, about processing the results of the election. Um, so we are currently um, meeting to sort of create a space that sort of um, captures like all students who need to process, right? Not just BIPOC students, but also right. like white students. Um, right. and being intentional about creating affinity spaces for those communities, but also coming together um, for some grounding, like breathing exercises, um, right. some meditation and like self-expression um, and having the ability to have um, facilitators from the different identity and cultural center offices to be able to be in those spaces to sort of hold space for our students, faculty and staff, um, and be able to sort of make sure that those spaces are, you know, not harming others and are productive right. to um, be in tune with like the feelings um, from students right. and just holding that space together, being in community together um, is our approach right now. And we're still in the developing phase, right? We want to make sure right. that all of um, all of the partners are able to voice um, their ideas and how the space can look like. But definitely, we are approaching it with intentionality and proactiveness because we don't know, right? Twenty twenty. Right. I don't know who wrote twenty twenty. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's Steven Spielberg or somebody else. Uh, but we nah, just dude, this is an M. Night Shyamalan production. <laughs> yeah, we, we just don't know. Um, 
if the results will be ready by the next day. And, you know, right. we're thinking about, are we going to have to offer multiple processing spaces, right? Um, right. So right now we're in the developing stages to, to ensure an intentional and well thought out space for our students. So where can students, uh, if, if they, they're listening to this podcast now and they're like, Hey, I actually want to be able to, um, to get into that space. Like, where would I, where would I go and look to find that information? Yeah. Um, our social media across all the identity, um, and cultural centers through our own social media, our newsletters, um, word of mouth. Um, since we're still developing, I think like, marketing and advertising the event is going to be crucial um but i think it's a collective um effort and collaboration so we'll make sure to to spread the word for the space that is being created fantastic fantastic well uh i think that we have talked through a lot of stuff um in a very short amount of time and have have been able to hold a lot of the information of things that Duke is going to be doing and things that Duke is doing in preparation for. Um, I am very curious between the three of you, is there anything else that you can imagine that we might need to, to work through in this episode about a special or the special election episode of this, you know, whether it be student access or places people can go or how to prep and prepare and prepare in a pandemic for voting in person, um, maybe where students can go to vote. Are there anything else that we might want to talk about? Um, so I think another aspect is like being um, mindful of um, like your own safety <laughs> in terms of like if you feel like you can't personally go to polls, you can do absentee um, votes. Um, because in my small town, um, a lot of people are being are not being very mindful about um, masks or staying within six feet. Um, so I personally didn't feel very safe going to physically to a poll. So I'll be voting through mail. Um, so you know, just a little bit of information about that. I think emphasizing like to having a voting plan, what Diana just said, um, like you know, voting. Early voting in North Carolina, you know, starts October 15th through October 31st. Um, if students, um, you know, will be on campus or are on campus, the Karsh Alumni Center is like a polling place on campus. Um, you know, this this site can be used for those living in Durham, um, even if like people are off campus, and then if people want to vote absentee or request an absentee ballot. They are due October 27th and the ballot is due on November 3rd. It just needs to be postmarked. I think are some important things for folks to like know and be aware. Definitely want to reiterate that statement of if you're going to vote in person, definitely have a plan, go early and be prepared. Uh, Director Erickson, where can students go to find out more about what Duke Create is up to? 
You can find the most updated listings of the Duke Create workshops at arts.duke.edu backslash workshops. Um, you can also feel free to contact me directly. That's ke57 at duke.edu. Or you can check out the Duke Create Instagram page, and that's at Duke Create. Uh, Assistant Director Oriana, what about if students are trying to engage with the Center for Multicultural Affairs, where should they be going to find you? Yeah, they can definitely follow our Instagram, Duke CMA, all together. Um, that's where we post our events and you can stay in the loop with what's going on in our center. Um, you can also visit our website, um, studentaffairs.duke.edu slash CMA. Um, and you can contact me um, for any programs that are happening in our space at eeo number seven at duke.edu. And Diana, are there any uh, student organizations that you would like to publicize at this moment in time? Yeah, so um, there's this new organization on campus, um, Duke Microwaves Media, um, and it's part of a it's a national platform. Um, but this is the first um, college chapter that we're making. Um, and it focuses a lot on the intersectional issues of migration. But in terms of voting, I know specifically that um, Duke's Black Student Alliance is having this 48-hour challenge at the moment um, of like you know submitting a video of why we vote and kind of getting the word out about that. So if y'all want to check that out, I would highly suggest that it's at Duke BSA on Instagram, and the Migrant Media one is at Duke.MRM. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, to Assistant Director Oriana, uh, Diana Sanchez, and Director uh, Kevin Erickson. Thank you so much for being on today. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Theme music for The Space of Justice is provided by Luke Rimbo. Engineering and mixing is provided by Music Juice Studios. A special thanks to Zencaster for taking into consideration the global pandemic and allowing for free, cloud-based, time-synced, remote recording for more than two people. I'm Michael Betts, the Director of Continuing Education at the Center for Documentary Studies here at Duke University, and you've been listening to The Space of Justice, the podcast from the Committee on Just Space. For more information about the Committee for Just Space at Duke University, check out our website at sites.duke.edu backslash just space. There you can check out last season's episode of our podcast. You can learn more about our academic year learning sessions, the yearly conference that we offer, and our syllabus support. This has been the special election episode of the Space of Justice from the Committee for Just Space at Duke University, sponsored by the Division of Student Affairs. We'll see you soon.